Hello and hoppy Easter, everyone. Get it? Hoppy? <laughs> I, uh, I crack myself up. But anyway, I hope you all had a wonderful Easter and got to spend it with your families. Unfortunately, I spent it working as I have the past three years. But, as we all found eggs and got to eat chocolate, hopefully, I want to focus our attention back on the reason for the season. Or is that saying only about Christmas? Anyway, this is Big Red and you're listening to The Big Red for America Show. As the world becomes more polarized and distorted from reality, Big Red for America breaks down a new concept, value, or debate so you can better understand the history and facts. Using historical data, basic logic, and common sense, we supply honesty and clarity around today's political topics, value sets, and cultural discourse. This is the Big Red for America show. So I actually want to get out of the news for this week and and de-stress a little bit. You know, sit down, have a little bit more of a philosophical chat with all of you. I mean, don't worry. I plan on getting back in the news next week, and I'm actually already excited about uh, my next week's topic. But I just really wanted to relax this week as we go through a Substack piece I wrote last year for Easter. It's just a friendly reminder, if you haven't already subscribed to my Substack, you totally should. You'll find all the sources to our show and even a few articles that I've written. Highly recommend you go check it out. But the philosophical issue that I want to tackle, and that I actually tackle in the paper, is the philosophical inconsistencies with religious pluralism that's currently present in American culture. And if if you don't know what religious pluralism is, um, Got Questions actually has a really good definition of religious pluralism. They define religious pluralism as the belief in two or more religious worldviews as being equally valid and acceptable valid and acceptable will be very important as um, we kind of walk through the logical problems with this later on. More than mere tolerance, religious pluralism accepts multiple paths to God or gods as a possibility and is usually contrasted with exclusivism, which is the idea that there's only one true religion or way to know God." And the reason why I want to focus on that, particularly this week, with it being Easter Sunday, you know, the holiday where Christians around the world celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think it's important to tackle this issue this week because we've really seen this explode on the national stage in recent years. And even still, this is something that I get a lot with with talking about people about religion too like in private conversations a lot of people don't want to be like that definition said they don't want to be quote exclusive so they try to be kind and just say that oh you know everyone is all these religions are just looking at god a different way or they all lead to different gods i've had friends tell me that like you know religions are just different paths we all take to the well and the well is understanding or the well is god and, and there are problems with that logic, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But we've really seen this explode recently, kind of on the national stage. So an example is last year, to start off the 117th Congress, uh, Representative Emanuel Cleaver, who's a Democrat from Missouri, and, fun fact, also a reverend, he started off his prayer, quote-unquote, 
or I guess rather he ended his prayer like this. Peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. So he got a lot of flack actually for saying amen and a woman, um, which first off is laughable because the word amen has nothing to do with masculinity or, or you know, men at all. So this addition of a woman just shows how critical theory has just seeped into all levels of American culture and just how absolutely preposterous it is, is the fact that they want to try to problem problematize a word that doesn't even mean what they are portraying it to mean. But I mean, I guess that's the whole motif of critical theory. But, you know, that's not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm more focused on is uh, Reverend, I just want to point that out again, Reverend Cleaver's lackadaisical combination of several different incompatible gods. And that actually gives us a good intro into the problems behind religious pluralism. So I just want to you know, just harken back to that clip. Reverend Cleaver used several contradicting terms uh, to describe God in the conclusion of his prayer. So first he says, you know, quote, the monotheistic God. And then immediately after saying this lists, quote, Brahma. So for those of you who might not be as religiously inclined, let me just explain this contradiction. So by monotheistic God, that by definition, by the definition of the world, word monotheistic means only one, that there is one God. This is what we see in uh, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, the belief that there is one God, there is no God besides the one God. But then listing Brahma after this, Brahma is one of the several Hindu gods. The Hindu god is polytheistic, which means there are several gods. Do you see the problem with that? If there is only one God, then he cannot be Brahma or even Hindu, which like I said, believes in many gods and vice versa. If God is Brahma, then he cannot be the monotheistic God spoken of in the Bible or the Quran. Both of these cannot be true at the same time. They're, they're conflicting. They're incompatible ideas. God can't be one and you can't have multiple gods. Just by definition of terms, that doesn't make any sense. And then he wraps up this prayer by saying, God known by many names, by many different faiths, which once again, just is heavily implying that all religions essentially lead to the same result, um, which is God. And this is just a textbook, textbook example of religious pluralism. Now, many people who claim to be religious pluralists, remember that idea that all religions are equally valid, which means true, um, and all are ways of getting it to God. For the most part, they're more concerned about trying to be nice. You know, it's just the kind way to uh, the kind way to exist. It's not kind to tell somebody that their religion is false or that they're going to hell or that their ideas are wrong. And I understand that um, someone's religious beliefs or lack thereof are one of the most important factors to someone's identity, like true identity. So attacking that at its base is uncomfortable. And I can see why people at least don't try to refrain and try to forge this middle road, try to force this middle road of that 
all options are, are correct or correct avenues to God. And this is what we see in an exchange between Senator Bernie Sanders and former President Donald Trump's appointee to the White House Office of Management and Budget, Russell Vought in 2017. So in this exchange, we, we hear Bernie Sanders berate Mr. Vought for the belief that if Christianity is true, by the continuation of that logic, that would keep Muslims out of heaven. You can just listen to the clip get to this issue uh, that has bothered me and bothered many other people. And that is in the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent. You wrote Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. End of quote. Do you believe do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation, and again, I apologize. I do forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece. Well, what does that say? The statement of faith. Of Wheaton I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. So beyond simply violating Mr. Vaught's First Amendment rights by heavily implying that someone's religious beliefs could keep them from holding a government office, this at least shows the sentiment that some people at least tr are trying or pretend or you know at least putting on the facade that they're trying to be kind i think in this specific example i think it's it's very obvious that senator sanders is much much more interested in trapping mr vaught and trying to paint him as an islamophobe which is a very weird way to try to do that because um, i don't think anybody informed senator sanders that by default muslims also believe that Christians and Jews aren't going to heaven or aren't saved. However, uh, Senator Sanders phrased that question. So no one informed him, which just lends credence to the argument that this wasn't a true complaint about uh, against Mr. Vaught or against Christianity because both Christianity and Islam are exclusive by definition. They're exclusive religions, meaning that they both believe that they are the only way to the truth, the only way to God, the only way to salvation. Which, as we'll get into a little bit later, and as we've already talked about a little bit, this poses problems for people who believe that all religions are equally valid. And I, I comment on this in my article. Trying to force a middle path where all religions are equally valid, despite them all contradicting each other, all having contradictory truth claims, this actually creates a whole new set of issues. The quote from my piece reads, quote, These pluralists do not support any claims that there is only one way to God. 
such a claim they believe would be, quote, exclusive, which we've talked about earlier, because those who don't follow your particular religion do not go to heaven. However, in pursuing such logic, the pluralist creates their own exclusive claim. The exclusive claim of the pluralist goes as follows, quote, all religions are equally valid, and therefore all religions lead people to God. And in making this claim, they invalidate Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Mormonism, Zoroastrianism, and Jehovah's Witnesses, just to name a few. As all of these religions believe that they are the one true religion and the only way to be saved. In an effort to get everyone into heaven, the pluralist ends up throwing everyone out. To help you guys understand this a little bit more, the claim of the religious pluralist is exclusive by definition. Because if religious pluralism is true, none of those other religions can be true. And remember, that's the whole claim, that's the, that's the definition behind religious exclusivism. I just want to jump back to the, the Got Questions article that says that it defines exclusivism as the idea that there is only one true religion or way to know God. And by definition of that, being religiously pluralist would be the only true religion and the only way to know God. Does that make sense? Because the pluralist trying to be kind, trying to say, hey, no, 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 everyone, let's all get along. They're actually saying, no, 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 come on, guys, let's all get along. You are all wrong, and I am right. You guys aren't the one, aren't the only one true religion. You guys aren't the only way to know God. Actually, you are all true, and you all get to know God, which is actually my belief. So my belief is the only true religion, only way to know God. So it's kind of awkward to, to lay out in words, but that they end up being just as exclusive as any religion that says, nope, if you're, Islam is the only way to God or, on the, or Christianity is the only way to God. The, the person who's religiously pluralist makes that exact same claim, but tries to be nice about it. So don't get, so don't get confused. They're making the exact same claim, but they're just, I guess, phrasing a little bit nicer. So let's even take out the fact that religious pluralism is just as exclusive as all the religions that they that they claim are. They're just as exclusive. Let's take that out for the for a second, because regardless of that fact, all monotheistic religions force you to choose whether they're true or not. There there is no third choice of it kind of being true or being true in some sense, like the religious pluralist likes to postulate. And that's really the point of the of this show, the point of this essay, is that, you know, in life, we're posed with questions. We're posed with hard questions. And we have to choose. We have to choose an answer. Life doesn't give us a third option of all of the above. And sometimes we're afraid to make those decisions. And I think we can see that in politics, you know, or whatever, you know, in our culture at large. But as people, I think we'd be a lot happier to kind of accept the dichotomy that we're given sometimes in life, the fact that we only have two, two choices to make. And that's the, that's the point of my paper that I, I don't, that isn't necessarily explicitly st uh, stated, 
But to illustrate this point, I really use I use Christianity's example, being far more familiar with that than any other major world religion. I remind the reader, using a quote from my article, quote, Christianity is unique compared to other world religions because its main premise, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is portrayed as a historical fact. Christians believe that Jesus was a real person who was crucified by the Romans and buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. In three days, the tomb was found empty and Jesus literally resurrected from the dead and appeared to many witnesses, unquote. So Christianity gives us a choice. You know, most historians would accept the fact and it would logically result the fact that the tomb was at least empty on Resurrection Sunday. So now there's several ways you can explain the empty tomb. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Or, on the other hand, the most credible theory is that the disciples stole the body. Now there are logical flaws with the belief that the disciples stole the body. That's not the aim of this podcast or of the paper you know that'd be actually a good other show maybe a good book review in the future but we have only two options to choose from how what how was the tomb empty and how are we going to adjust our lives in accordance to that so the first answer to why the tomb was empty was that the disciples stole the body so this is the belief held by the Jews, I want to say, and I believe it's even in their holy writings, but as early as the day of his resurrection, according to the Gospels, which are the first four books of the Christian New Testament, this lie was circulated by the Jewish religious leaders. And this, this in and of itself debunks religious pluralism. If this statement is true, and Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is false, plain and simple. It can't be a valid religion. It can't be a valid way to God. And this is even recognized by the writers of the New Testament. So the Apostle Paul, who's writing 20 years after Jesus' death and alleged resurrection, writes, quote, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. He also writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And finally, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, quote, we are of all most to be pitied, unquote. So this just goes to the, the fact that Christianity is completely predicated on the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Now, these other religions assert that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Like I said, Jews believe that the body was stolen by the disciples. Muslims believe that Jesus actually didn't die on the cross. I don't know how they explain the empty tomb, but both at least assert that he did not rise from the grave. So how can they both be true? You can't have, you, Judaism can't be true because they postulate that Jesus isn't the Messiah, that he didn't raise from the dead, and Christianity can't, also can't be true, saying that Christ rose from the dead and is the Messiah and God, because those are all conflicting truth claims. You know, you can't have an apple, you can't be looking at the same apple and it be red and blue. You know, it's either red or blue. Those, these claims, they can't, they cannot simultaneously be true. And that's a problem that religious pluralists, I don't think, think deep enough to try to work out. But the other option that the empty grave poses for us is that Jesus actually rose from the grave. And of course, this is the view of all four Gospels and most Christian, and all Christians around the world 
I guess I should say most. Uh, they even record that he appeared to witnesses, including some of his closest followers and up to 500 people, according to the Apostle Paul. So if this is true, if this claim is true and Jesus rose bodily from the dead, then Jesus Christ would be the Messiah he claimed to be. If Jesus is the Messiah he claimed to be, then his claim to be the only route to salvation must be true. So therefore, if Jesus' claim to be the only route to salvation must be true, all other religions who claim he isn't the only way to salvation must be false. Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc. So therefore, religious pluralism must be false. And this is just one example. You, I'm sure you could look at this in Islam too. You can make this exact same argument from the Islamic perspective. Is Muhammad a prophet of Allah or not? You know, either way, if he is, then Islam has to be true. If he's not, then it would be false logically. And either way, if Islam is the only is true, Muhammad was truly the prophet of Allah, then Islam would be the only way to God. And if it's false, then religious pluralism can't be true because Islam is not a way to God. And like you see how that how that works? These religions only give us two options. We have to live our, we have to choose whether one, which is true and which is false and adjust our lives accordingly. So religious pluralism cannot be true any way you slice it. If it is true, if religious pluralism is true, then all religions that make exclusive claims to be the only way to God or heaven have to be false. And just look at how I did this with Christianity. If Christianity is true or false, religious pluralism is false. I think that's big to point out because like a lot of things, people try to be nice and they don't think it through 100% logically. And I mean, a lot of people just trying to get along with everyone agree and go along with it, but, and, and just are afraid of kind of that conflict. And I think we have to really challenge that because there is, there just is no other way. They are either true or false, and we have to be okay with making that decision. So what are the big red takeaways for this week? So the first is that while religious pluralism seems to be the kind way to go, it ends up ultimately being self-defeating. Like I broke down the logic earlier by claiming that all the other religions are not truly ways to God, but religious pluralism is truly the way to God. They end up being just as exclusive as those the religions that they claim are exclusive. They essentially are saying, no, 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 you guys are wrong. You guys don't have the full picture. You're not fully educated. We are truly the one true religion, even though it's pluralistic. So that's important to understand. And then secondly, the second big red takeaway is that you're going to have to make some hard choices in life. Life often doesn't give us a select all that, you know, all of the above option. We're going to have to choose A or B and whichever one we choose, A or B, some people are going to be upset with us. Some people are not going to like our decisions. It's going to create conflict, but we're going to have to 
stand up for what we believe in, for our values, because um, no one else is going to stand up for us. So I think it's important to just prepare you to make those decisions. Don't be afraid of those decisions. Make those decisions. Don't try to weasel out of them and be like, oh, actually, all these decisions work um, because you end up, it's not, it's not a true solution. And finally, the final big red takeaway is that the empty tomb of Jesus gives us a choice too. It forces us to make a choice. There's only two options here. And each of us needs to decide how we are going to respond to it. So I hope you all had a fantastic Easter. I look forward to educating you all next week. This is Big Red signing off for the Big Red for America show. Did you like what you heard this week? Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms from our site on Anchor FM. If you want to follow us on social media, you'll see our link down in the description. And if you really like it, make sure you share this podcast with all your friends. That's one of the best ways that you can help this podcast grow. Thank you all so much. See you next time.